that there have been more goblin fights in D and D run <laughs> since nineteen sixty eight or whatever than there are atoms in the universe. <laughs> Everybody's bored. So let's add some party poppers that are essentially just goblins. <laughs> Welcome to Monsters and Multiclass, your Dungeons and Dragons fix. I'm Kevin Odie. I'm Jared Bornigal. And I'm Will Milton. And we'll be hanging out with you for a while to talk about anything and everything D&D related. This week we're taking a look at the Monk Paladin and Multiclass, and then later on the Fargus from Volo's Guide to Monsters. So pull up a chair and hang out for a while. All right, so this week we're taking a look at the Monk Paladin multiclass. Uh, a monk is a martial character who relies on their key ability to make a bunch of small attacks and make them really count. Uh, whereas a paladin is more of the Nova damage in D&D. They have their smite ability, that's their main class feature. A monk is going to require <clears throat> 13 in dex and 13 in wisdom, whereas a paladin is going to require 13 in strength and 13 in charisma in order to multi-class in. So we have four requirements for this one. I'm sure that Will is extremely excited, but I'm going to hold you back for just a second uh, and, and let Kevin take the first thoughts here. Uh, definitely those four ability requirements absolutely killed us. It's looking at it, there's a lot of things where it sounds like, oh, it could be good. I feel like uh, paladin dipping into monk or other way around. Monk dipping into paladin. Oh, I can see some cool things there, but then you look, you need 13 in all four of those stats. The chances of you happen, happening to have that or the sacrifices you need to make to get them just doesn't seem worth it. Right, because then, like, what are the skills even left? Intelligence? Okay, fine, that can be a dump stat. Right. Anchor. Constitution? Do you really want that to be a dump stat? Nope. No. It's going to kind of have to be. <laughs> yeah. Will? And, uh, charisma. But... Oh, oh yeah. no, Paladin. Never mind. Yeah, yeah, you need at least 13. You asked, we had a question on Reddit, what is the worst multi-class? And we all kind of agreed wizard, sorcerer, but I had this sneaking suspicion that one of these quad requirement classes was going to, if not dethrone it, but challenge it. And it's like, wow, it's just not going to happen for me. Even thematically, I just don't like it. I feel like it's two totally separate paths of devotion that don't necessarily mesh well at all. So that's the first point that I'll... I'll definitely counter that a bit i think thematically it makes a ton of sense it's the same idea of having an oath of devotion of some sort to something uh, it doesn't have to be entirely separate uh, the fact that they can be the same almost makes it easier no oh okay <laughs> well <laughs> if you say so i mean that's that's, that's, that's just wrong though so well, no it's your opinion we're just <laughs> well i think my point is it's uh one of these is one of those situations where like you've got this like karate night thing going on that is like people when they're like, I, this sounds really condescending, but it feels like middle school story time. Oh, it's like I just want a, I want to wear heavy armor and B, I also want to be good at karate and I want to be like seven feet tall and also the <laughs> king, but also like a dragon. <laughs> and God's chosen one. And God's chosen one. And like, I'm, I'm going to have 16 girlfriends. And it's just, it's like, a, I don't know. It's like a Japanese light novel. It's like this guy is writing this dream life he wants, not a good character. And I don't know. It's just, I don't think you could bring this to the table and not make it kind of 
cringy and forced. Unless you made it an isekai warrior. And, yeah. <laughs> but it, that guy never has a good party. It's like, oh, look at these uh, incredibly busty women that follow me around and do nothing. It's not... <laughs> Not cohesive. <laughs> I, what'd you Isekai. Call it? What's that? It's a genre of anime where it's it's basically that it's it's transporting somebody from our world into uh, a fantasy world of sorts. D and D's the usual trope for it, or like that type of fantasy world. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's basically it. The so. worst part about it is every single one of them starts. I was like the <clears> most <throat> average. 16 year old high school kid i didn't have a girlfriend and i had barely any friends and then literally within three pages of the manga they're like transported to a new world and they have the most powerful ability like given to them by god and then they are like the god of this world and then it's like 67 chapters later and they've never (laughs) faced a challenge and you're like why are there 95 of these mangas going on (laughs) right now this is Awful. You wish fulfillment. So I say Konosuba. Konosuba. Kind of a satire of that. Okay. Yeah. Konosuba was the dunking on that idea. Yeah. So yeah, no, I I kind of agree. Like this sounds like a bit of a, like a good, I don't even know if good idea is the right word. It sounds like I can see how somebody gets to this idea and they're like, oh, it'd be really cool. You know, holy warrior, also really good at karate. I like the idea, but then putting it, the stats onto paper it just is going to keep falling flat. I mean, mechanically speaking, there's just not a ton there because monks are the hardest things to multi-class with because the second that you put on any armor or even pick up a shield, you lose everything that makes you a monk. And paladins, you know, you expect them to be a a warrior with armor and with a, maybe not a shield that doesn't matter as much, but a weapon at the very least. Um, right. You, you got to choose one or the other with this. It's, it's difficult. Yeah, so paladin... Dipping into monk, I think, is absolutely worthless because mm-hmm. all of the early level monk abilities, mm-hmm. like martial arts and um, their armor and all that's all yeah, based around them not wearing armor, not using shields, not using most weapons. It's it's a waste. You're basically stripping away a lot that makes them a paladin. The other way around, if we could ignore <laughs> the at- four attribute requirements for a minute, is actually pretty decent. If you are mainly a monk, a melee monk, which are most of them, and you dip three levels in the Paladin. You get Divine Sense, you get 15 points of land hands damage, you get a fighting style, which it's going to have to be dueling, really. Yep, gonna be but dueling. it's fine, so plus two to all your attacks. Damage, great. We talked about that a lot with the Ranger Monk. I mean, it, it does a lot of damage, even just right. with when you're making so many attacks. But we had something wrong. I don't remember what it was. Was it the plus two only with the weapon attack? Is that yeah. it? Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. One-handed weapon attack. Okay. All right. So you can get the plus so with two. The unarmed, yeah. I don't think it applies to the unarmed. Right. No. That would be really, that would be overpowered as hell, actually. Yeah. Especially with a monk. Flurry of blows. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're yeah. wheeling a melee weapon in one hand and no other weapons, you gain a plus two bonus damage rolls with that weapon. So yeah, it does not apply to unarmed. Yes. But that's fine. Well, so yeah, spell casting. So you get access to first level paladin spells. You get your divine smites, which you can do off of unarmed attacks. Yep. And then if third level, depending on um, divine health, so you get immune to diseases, which I think monks get anyways, yeah. actually. I think, yeah, yeah later either, on. Either way. Um, and then your first sacred oath. So like if you go vengeance, then you get your vow of enmity and once per short rest, you could give yourself advantage for a minute. A monk with their like four or five attacks in a turn. Getting an advantage in all of them for a minute is really awesome. And then also, like, Vengeance, you, you then get Hunter's Mark, so then add a D6 onto all of those. Like, that's that's kind of nice. That's I like that. And yeah. then you add in the heavy flavor of you're a monk, and then you got took some sort of oath and had that really strong big character moment of that gave you these initial paladin powers. Yeah. But then you remember 
you need 13 in strength, 13 in dexterity, 13 in wisdom, and 13 in charisma. <laughs> yeah, you're going to need that dueling just to make up for the damage you're not doing. Right. Uh, which is, you know, a bit of a bummer. I mean, with that, I say you'd need to have dex pretty high. You'd need your wisdom pretty high for your armor class if you want that to be anything worthwhile. Right. Um, and then charisma and strength would be basically just 13. At 13 yeah. and don't get them any higher. Yeah. If you're not going 14, any... if you can manage it just to get the plus two instead of plus one. Exactly. Exactly. But you're not going to get your, your paladin aura, which comes in at level six, I believe. Right. Um, so there's no use to get charisma higher. I wouldn't cast a single spell that requires a spell save. That's for no, sure. I, I would say the slots for smites. Smites <laughs> and hunter's mark. Yep, which will take a, and that's if First you're going levels, that yeah. uh, oath of vengeance, right? right? Yeah, we are talking about what, like three level one smites. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not like I wouldn't say no to it. <laughs> Chasing after that at all, it's. I mean, that's what I have on my current character, and I feel like I smite a lot. Yeah, it comes up, but you are level seven. Yeah. If you were a level 13 monk, you wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, I definitely need that thing I had six levels ago. All right, so then Hunter's Mark. Use Hunter's, Hunter's Mark, Mark, yeah, I can go to Vengeance, use it for Hunter's Mark. That actually is, oh, like, if you're holding concentration on that for a good amount of time, uh, it will do more damage. A Smite is 2d8, a Hunter's Mark is 1d6 on every hit. That's right. actually really good for Yeah, a for, a, for a monk, yeah. Doing flurry blows and crap like that and yeah. bonus armed on attacks. So at level five for free, they could get three attacks in a round. Right. Two, because they get extra attacks. So two with a weapon attack, then a bonus unarmed. Right. They want to spend a key point, they get four attacks. That's going to be much better. The extra 3d6 or 46 per hit, or per per turn if everything hits. We're also looking at a situation where you are up in something's real with a concentration spell up. Four attribute requirements. One of them is definitely not con. Just get Warcaster. <laughs> uh, I don't even human. know. <laughs> variant human. Yeah, I, I think you could definitely make it work a variant human. Take take Warcaster. Yeah. And then... I think this is one that, like, you are going to be very poorly scaled compared to the rest of your party until you get to, like, level 10, 12 even. And then you'll, you know, once you can really uh, pull that type of thing off where you're casting Hunter's Mark before you get into the fray, you're keeping it up because you've got... I don't know, either a high enough constant, uh, constitution or Warcaster, most likely Warcaster. Yes, it's going to be like pretty good, but it's going to take you a while to get there. Wait, all right. All right. So here's the issue. It's like, just go one level in Warlock. Do they get Hunter's Mark? They get Hex, which is the same damn thing. Yeah. Is it? I didn't know that. Yeah. And then you only need Charisma. And you're a Warlock, which is badass and easier to justify. I don't <laughs> agree right. with that. I still think Paladin and Monk, those go together much better than Monk and a Warlock. Nah, that is kind of edgy. But <laughs> anybody can be a Warlock. Everybody's a Warlock at heart. <laughs> <laughs> we're all Warlocks on the inside. It's just, uh, you know, we're one small bond away. That's how I view yeah. the world. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, again, I'm, I'm still going to stick with and continue to argue if you bring it up again that Paladin and Monk <laughs> do go to go well together flavor-wise. I mean, again, it's this idea of having a, a devotion to something, taking an oath. I mean, if that doesn't scream Monk to you, then what does Monk scream to you? The monk screams like discipline. Yeah, and swearing and an oath and sticking to it is that. That's discipline. But in my eyes, like, that's kind of one of those, like, 
you've got two different ways to be very, very something. And if you go both, it dilutes them, in my personal opinion. Whereas Monk is just like, Monk Warlock is just kind of like, oh, it's cool because I got a free thing from the devil. And I can always justify that in my head. Yeah. I, mean, I guess you're saying that there's there's two different paths that dilutes them. Okay, that makes sense to me, but I don't see what the two different paths are. That's what's not clicking. So one of them is like, I'm going to devote myself to my body and that kind of idea. Mm-hmm. It's the karate master shit. Okay. And the other ones, I'm going to devote myself to this ideal and enforcing that ideal. Okay. So a monk, I feel like, would be less inclined to feel the way a paladin does. Because the paladin, like, the feeling of a paladin is what makes the paladin. Okay. Whereas a monk would identify that as maybe not the best way to go about it. Okay. Okay. So what you're saying is monks more go towards this idea of self-purity yeah. and, you know, again, focusing on their body, which is true. I think that's a good summary summary of it. Uh, whereas paladins, it's more to an ideal. So they're body just kind of comes along with that <laughs> well they they do what they can to get the body to some right. level but the emptiness the empty mindedness of a monk i feel like mm-hmm. is lost and that's that is kind of like going through the trope of monks have to be buddhist monks and we obviously are not no in nepal we are in you know whatever D realm you have so <laughs> right i still think uh, a cheese monk is, is cheese right monk? around the corner yeah, we were talking about um, like when cheeses were started, and and cheese was basically oh, perfected yeah. by monks, <laughs> or like you know really like taken under. Uh, so I think in my world, if anybody wants to play a monk, they can play a cheese monk. I don't know what it's going to look like. It's probably just going to be any of the already established subclasses. Um, but <laughs> you can have proficiency. You can have proficiency in making cheeses. Yeah, you're not a martial monk. You're just an NPC. <laughs> you look just kind of a portly guy. <laughs> I just had a lot of time, no girlfriend. You know, we're just sitting around curling milk. (laughs) Maybe like a cheese. (laughs) So we talked about uh, for Paladin, the Oath of Vengeance. I honestly think that's probably the best bet just because of that Hunter's Mark. That really sells sells me on it. When I hear martial character, I'm always going to think of Kensai Monk. Right. Are we going to get anything out of that, though? It's not bad. Uh, you open up what weapons you could use. Like, nice. like I mean, Paladin's getting everything. And then if you go into Monk, it's kind of like, oh, it's somewhat wasted. Well, with Kenzai Monk, you could still benefit from those. And then the Kenzai abilities, like Agile Parry or Kenzai Shot. They're good. Yeah, well, I guess probably not Kenzai Shot with a Paladin because making yourself a ranged Monk Paladin. Having the... I'm- I will say having the options is never bad. Yeah, right. I we, don't see why you couldn't. We've been in that situation multiple times with paladins who are just like sitting there just like, uh, well, it's flying, so mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, man. That was basically my entire character in Out of the Abyss. Was I, I specifically made sure I didn't have too much range. Just my, go buy a javelin. Right. Holy shit. Nope. Nope. Just going to be the, the one who's screwed when things are far away. It's called uh, character building. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but I mean, this is going to be a dex paladin. Uh, it, it almost has to be right. So we're already ignoring armor or for, you know, trying to boost that up. Dex is there. Great. Let's maybe give him a ranged weapon in case it makes sense. So what was that? Kensai shot. What? That's just as a bonus action. You do an extra one D four damage. Uh, no, I'm your attack. Oh, yeah. As a bonus action, you can make one of your ranged attacks. Oh, and that's any ranged attack that hits. So if you if you have multi attack and you're hitting twice with the Kensai shot, you give up your bonus action to do that, but it does an extra D4 damage. Right. It's basically replacing the unarmed strike. 
right that of martial arts right and they say it's it's never going to be that great because it's only 1d4 additional damage but at least if you do have to go that range you've you've got a good option with it right but the fact applies to both kind of puts it on par with their unarmed strike yes martial arts, you do which is the 1d4 right so if you are them. concentrating on that uh hunter's mark you know that's something <laughs> gives you an extra 1d6 to that as well you still are going to want to get up close. So that way you can do three separate attacks with it yeah, instead of just no two. flurry of arrows. Mm-hmm. That would be nice. I'd like a flurry of arrows. Probably not a Kensai monk thing, though. No. No. <laughs> yeah, no. Ranger. Um, level six, you get the magic Kensai weapons. Always nice. Just you've got a magical weapon for the sake of overcoming resistances, which if you guys had that right now, I'm sure you'd be very appreciative. I feel like most groups, everyone's going to have a magic weapon by level five, except for at our table. I mean, it's not like we invented this concept of never giving people anything. You were correct. We didn't invent that. It's more that, um, I feel like most, give me better armor. Why do you need better armor? Our fighter doesn't even have plate and everyone's like oh at fifth level you should have the best armor in the game it's like oh no i will never go <laughs> above 14 ac <laughs> yeah, how is it so is low i can only wear hide armor oh the no metal for yeah right okay there's something in between and you have so much money no there isn't so it's splint you're probably thinking of like Oh, is that heavier? One armor? of them sounds like it's not metal. Yeah. But it is metal. Yeah. No. <laughs> the only thing you can do is the least effective medium armor. Well, maybe, just maybe, you should start going on a personal journey to find better armor. That's really, really a bad character building. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's horrible. Could have talked to a, maybe a, a tanner to find a way to make chitin armor. You know, he's like, oh, bring me some bugs and I'll make you some chitin armor. Then you got to go hunt some bugs. Is it character development? No. Is it a challenge that your character has to overcome? Yes. Go play a druid in some other campaign. (laughs) (laughs) So beyond that, at sixth level, you don't really get anything else, do you? You get another Kensai weapon or you get the death strike which is spending a key point to deal extra damage to the target equal to your martial arts die. So, I mean, you are going to, like, compete in damage. I think there's a lot of different ways to get it up there. What we're talking about, though, right now is why the Kensai is an okay subclass. It doesn't help you as a paladin. I mean, it does to some extent, because you're going to be held behind on everything else. (laughs) I mean, if... Again, if you get that, maybe you're uh, you're doing rolled stats. So getting to uh, 13 strength and 13 charisma isn't as hard. You know, you rolled really well. Or it's later on in the campaign and you're like, well, you know, my dex is at 20. My constitution's at 20. I don't really feel like taking the next three levels in monk because, you know, what is it going to get me? Eh, maybe paladin's what you want to go for. I hear what you're saying, though. It's It might be a little tough to justify. Maybe there's got to be some role-playing reason for it. Something that has happened in the campaign that makes you diverge. And then, sure, Oath of Vengeance works out pretty well. Maybe Oath of um, the Ancients, which can always kind of be a uh, nice one if you're dedicated to the ideas of beauty and nature. (laughs) Yeah, it's probably not great. But it depends. I mean, if it fits how your monk has been playing, then, yeah, you can take a lot out of that. I will say this. Monk does not have a whole lot as a capstone. No. 
No, so. it doesn't. It's like you get key if you don't have key. It's one of those. Astral projection for free. <laughs> okay, whatever. Astral projection. What are you talking about? I don't think that's a monk. Yeah, empty body level 18. It's a weird, weird, weird high level thing. I don't remember that one. Mm -hmm. Empty body. I'm pulling it up now. Getting at 18th level, you can use your action to spend four key points to become invisible for one minute. During that time, you also have resistance to all damage but force. Additionally, you can spend eight key points to cast the astral projection spell without needing material components. When you do so, you can't take other creatures with you. That makes sense thematically. It's not very mechanically good. No, but I mean, being able to turn invisible for a minute That's all right. gives you advantage to everything, disadvantage on all attacks against you. Pretty nice. That's 18th level, though. So at that point, who gives a shit? Yeah, I mean, it's it's like everyone's just super powerful. So it's getting to right. the, it, the point of ramp up that just nobody cares. And Maybe movement 60 feet or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as usual, you're probably not going to get up to those high levels in a multi-class or without it. 18 is pretty high. Right. Uh, so if you're getting to that point, balance has gone out the window. Clearly, we are struggling with this one. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's other monk subclasses that none of which I love. <laughs> I really just, I'm not a huge fan of the monk <laughs> for multi-classing at the very least. It's horrible right. for multi-classing. Yeah. Hey, and B, it is kind of a meteor class when you look at it more thoroughly. Yeah. Uh, Way of the Shadow is no. always the casting darkness that you can, can you see through that? No, that's the... Uh, that's always the sorcerer. You know when you can up. see with, through that. Hmm. When you're <laughs> take a couple <laughs> levels of war. <laughs> that is fair. It's sounding more and more like a warlock monk is a little bit more effective than a paladin monk. I don't know. There's seems something weird about a. I don't. I don't want to talk about it too much. You're gonna keep getting me on the the warlock monk thing. <laughs> and when we have a warlock monk, we're not gonna be able to talk about it. We'll be like, oh, just listen to the the paladin monk because that one was garbage. It's a I'm garbage trying to slowly move it. Every episode, I'm moving it towards monsters and warlocks. <laughs> where I talk about warlocks. <laughs> That's it. Next week's episode. Same as the last. <laughs> better than the rest. <laughs> I guess some of the level two key abilities, where you get expensive key and disengages a bonus action or dashes a bonus action as nice as a paladin. Yeah. But I, I'd rather just go rogue. Yes. I think what it could benefit it is if once again we're talking about that um uh, the hunter's mark thing and trying to maintain concentration it gives you a really good way to get in there do a couple hits and then get out right does it take your bonus action to step of the wind though yes yeah well nope not gonna work then i mean yeah no it still works it still works you're just only getting two attacks which it's an obnoxious strategy that doesn't really right work that so at that point just be far away and be the uh, the ranged monk who can get Hunter's Mark 1d6, 1d4, plus whatever their their bow is. I'm not saying it's good, just yeah, so that yeah, would be more beneficial. Wasting yeah. Hunter's Mark then, because then you're not taking advantage of well, this might. Or... Wasting's a little bit of a strong term for it, because that's about what Hunter's Mark gets you as a ranger most of the time, is two attacks per right. turn. So, I mean, it's not wasted as much as there's more you could do with it that would be a lot cooler. If you're not worried about losing your or concentration, rangers. that's fine. Rangers are You great. should always be worried about losing your concentration. It happens all the time. <laughs> I don't know why. You guys should hold concentration better. Did you try thinking harder? <laughs> 
rolling better, maybe? Yeah, that's what I yell about. <laughs> I don't think, yeah, our ranger has probably never maintained concentration on any. Like, oh, you, you know, take one damage, like, oh, Hunter's Mark's gone. <laughs> that was a waste. He doesn't use it for anything else, so it's it's fine. Yeah, that's true. All right. Well, I mean, Paladin Monk. What else is there to say about it? <laughs> we got any cool backstories of why a character like this would exist? Honestly, they all just seem very simplistic of like they're already a monk. And then again, either some big event happens like their monasteries all killed. And so vengeance paladin, they take up an oath of vengeance against them. Then you got like a Korean revenge film, which can be kind of cool. <laughs> I love Korean revenge films. They're great. But old boy, not, I'm, I'm like 90 percent sure I went on this rant before. It probably devolved into warlocks, but I'm going to start. It again. <laughs> You're a monk. And you, your entire life is devoted to monk things because that's what monks do. And orcs burn down your village. And so you take an oath of vengeance. But you don't take oath of vengeance. You practice karate more. <laughs> it's like you, you immediately do that. You don't think, oh, I'm going to change like the fundamental defining aspect of my life to get absolutely nothing. No. You practice more karate. That's, that's what you do. I don't think that Or you join be... the police force and become a fighter. I think that this is, is one of those like where the... The oath is what's specifically giving you the power. Yes, you're still practicing karate, but that doesn't mean you also need to... Like, you're, you're going to ignore the armor stuff anyways, so just ignore it. It doesn't need to be a thing that you, oh, then I went and learned how to wear heavy armor while conducting battle, <laughs> but now I don't use it because uh, it doesn't matter. Like, there is more to the, the class and the flavor than what is given to you on paper. You can ignore some of the stuff you get on paper to then say... Yes, this this fits the idea of what I'm going for. I want to be swearing an oath of vengeance, and from that oath of vengeance, I'm getting power. I'm getting my my nature is being changed as a whole. I can cast Hunter's Mark now <laughs> <laughs> and take a vow of enmity once per day. And there's there's something to that for, <laughs> sure, for rest. sure. Rest. Thank you, Kevin. Um, I don't think that's a bad setup by any means. And all you have to do is ignore that, you know, you also know how to use a sword. Like, it's fine. I'm not going to use a sword anyways. If somebody's like really adamant about that and then in the game they're like, oh, you know what? Today I'm actually going to put on heavy armor and use a sword and switch up everything. I mean, yes, they're still allowed to, but everyone's going to be like, okay, that's dumb. Don't do that. You're ruining your character. Just like if Musty put on, you know. Metal armor tomorrow. He loses his druid powers. He loses his druid powers, just like they'd lose their monk powers. He's just powers. a regular tall dude. He's still really tall, though. Yeah, he's huge. <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's things to it that are beyond the actual mechanics. Yeah, no, I, I'll give you that. It's one of those situations where you can throw shit out like that if you really want. Yeah. Just talk to your DM. He's never going to say, no, you can't abandon those class features yeah no i'm sorry you need to be this powerful and you need to be trained in this and you need to have a reason why you're trained in it you can't just not have it if you come in at a later level you could do it as a backstory it's like this would be awkward to play through this at level one but let's say you're coming out like like level six or seven or something like that mm -hmm. you take three levels in paladin and that's your starting class mm -hmm. and then switch over to monk and this all happens before the campaign starts and your backstory is you were a paladin for a kingdom or for some temple and for whatever reason you had a falling out and really rethought your entire life and joined a monastic order and went yeah. off and studied like that it, it would like I said, it'd be really awkward to play through that in an actual campaign starting at level one but 
coming later you just make it part of your backstory yeah that monk is once again a really hard one to multi-class into thematically for that reason if you're not starting with a monk it's like it's not going to happen in play you're not just going to one day find a monastic order and be like hey everyone i'm going to like stay here for the next six months and just train really really hard depends on the campaign type we always do stuff even like in our current campaign which is very sandboxy it's still kind of constant action mm-hmm. there are campaigns there's eventually like adventure league type stuff where your characters are like not doing anything for a year that's fair and you have these crazy downtime activities you could do and that could be one of them that's fair or alternatively if you want it to happen if it is a campaign where you keep going and going and going and you want this to happen kind of on screen so to speak you're traveling with the monk and they train you also could be another fair. party member or an npc or whatever or you're kind of hubbed in you have like a hub town and you're all even though you're going out and doing stuff in the world you're always finding your way back there for long stretches of time it's like every time you go back you meet up with this person and they train you party member could i like the idea of that only if you're like not only but um if you're like leaving the same monastic order like yeah that's why you know each other and they're like helping you continue your training if it's like really right. early on in it like basically it starts with you are a new monk you have three levels in paladin but now you're taking on monkly duties <laughs> it's something and then they're they're the ones who are kind of training you and then that builds a uh between character a mentor and mentee all right, relationship. All right. that's that's cool right. but like <laughs> I don't want to get too hung up on mechanics, but you've already got a monk in the party, and then you're like half a you're like a low level paladin. You're like, oh, I'm gonna be a monk too. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I mean, that's that's like yeah, one, that's you, one you, of the two classes I would not think. That's just something you don't want two of in a, a party. You think? I don't. That's think one I, of the examples that I would say are is not a great idea. I don't think you need to have a well balanced party by any means, though. Right? No, but it definitely. I think there is more fun to be had if you do. And a lot of people, a lot of people signal against that idea. But I think that having a more traditional party makes everybody's life a little bit more easy and a little bit more enjoyable. We have an extremely well-rounded party right now. It's actually kind we of do. absurd. <laughs> it's it's frustrating as a DM. I can't throw enough stuff at you guys. We've but you got, know, if we didn't, you you would be like, all right, I got him this time. And then you'd be like, oh shit, I actually got him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Behind every DM's confidence is just that little bit of, but what if I kill everyone? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, what do we got? We got a full druid, so spore druid at that, which is just a weird, all well-rounded kind of druid. It's a very survivable druid. Yeah, Yeah, Um, we got the uh, ranger fighter, who's going to be an uh, arcane archer, who's just doing tons of damage. Yeah. We've got you, Kevin, who is a... Uh, what are you again? Your rogue paladin. Yeah. Which also doing a ton of arcane trickster, damage. Oath of Vengeance. Yeah. Yeah. With 18 AC and a shield. Very on hands. So yeah, good mix of healing and burst damage. Mm-hmm. And then we have an Eldritch Knight who just does consistent damage, takes some hits. I mean, and then a full healer. Yeah. Life player. Yeah, yeah. Like whose specific thing just is wanting to heal. So I mean. Heal and buff. Yeah. Heal and buff. So if we were Not like. A high doing, level bless. That's nice. If we were doing like a, a WoW raid. This is that. I was gonna say you didn't play WoW, but this is a incredibly well balanced WoW party. Yeah. <laughs> because druids are great backup healers. So that's why I have to keep throwing raid bosses at you guys. Yeah, that's also the thing. Like every time she can't heal, you're like, that's fine, I got it. Or like you're first in initiative order, here's a healing word. That's yeah. fine. I'll take care of it. You know, like it's And then even at me as like a, a last result. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Not yeah, they're having the 15 points of land hands. I, I haven't even prepared like healing spells. Well, you should. Bothered. No. <laughs> Honestly, and the biggest problem with lay on hands, it's a huge waste of your damage action. Right. So you, that's always the, uh, well, true. I can't get over there. So he's got it. Right. Yeah. It's been a nice backup. Here's one point of land hands. You're no longer dying. Or where I'm used in more is the five points to cure poison or disease. Mm-hmm. You have 20 now. You just leveled up. Oh, yeah. I do. So uh, sweet. Yeah. And I mean, 20, that's nothing to scoff at. Right. That's a good amount of healing. Right. Yeah. And also, then I could take care of myself if needed. Here's 20 points of health back to me. I mean, which to now say again, everyone can heal themselves a little bit because the uh, there's two fighters. One's Eldritch Knight, one's a. The, the ranger yeah, of the glass yeah. yeah and they both have no second wind second wind so like everyone can give themselves some healing and then you have a full healer and it makes me feel a lot less bad about doing 70 damage in one turn well now you should don't feel bad about that <laughs> i don't <laughs> i think i have one of the higher house at 60 <laughs> <laughs> maybe he shouldn't have gotten hit so much <laughs> yeah that's the thing the only person who could survive a lot of those attacks would be me with my full buffed up sporeness yeah well, that's all right. It was a raid boss. And you guys survived. I didn't yep. even turn that on, I don't think. Nope. I was too busy trying to save the people you massacred. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's, um, I don't know. I mean, that's kind of one of the harder parts of DMing against people who know what they're doing is you have to keep turning up the difficulty and it's really difficult to find a good balance. And as right. I think we found, sometimes the balance is going too far. And just letting you guys figure it out. That was one of those where I was kind of crowdsourcing ideas for that monster. And it kept going like more and more out of hand. And every time people were like, ooh, but that might be too powerful. And I'm like, there's literally no such thing. Like, (laughs) (laughs) it's impossible. I mean, it's if it gets too much, then they'll run or somebody dies and then we move on. But I I don't think that's going to happen. And somebody died. And then you revived them. Right. And then we moved on. (laughs) And it was good. So you're welcome. I think the biggest problem with (laughs) What, what we do, and I think I feel like probably a lot more parties do this than don't, is we just we combat takes so fucking long that we can't do the oh yeah no every day should have seven encounters or some shit like that. I mean, there's ways to do it that aren't they're using resources that aren't going to be full. It, I, I, it, it's still it doesn't count. It like you can say oh that not seven combats it's only like three combats and five traps. It's like. Those traps still take a shitload of time, and those combats still take a shitload of time. We afford, like, one combat a session. Yeah. And even then, that takes, like, half of our time. Yeah. I mean, there are definitely times where it's expected to be multiple sessions with one rest. And those ones, it does work out kind of better. And I feel like the, you know, getting you guys strapped for resources definitely comes up. Beyond that, I mean, the only way to really offer that challenge is to have it be a little bit over the top. Yeah. And I mean, that's fine. I think that's a good way to go about it personally. And it also, I mean, it's cooler fights. So until you guys get to like level 15 and it's impossible to try and balance for that, it's fine. That's the issue that really comes up is I, we've done this before. It's like, we can't balance high level fights. It's hard. It's, it's, it's not hard. It just like doesn't work, you know? And then I think the only way at high level is the war of attrition, multiple pretty reasonable encounters eventually just kind of wearing the party down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I think so. And I think what people actually forget about with that, which they, they feel like every single combat needs to be just really crazy strong, but like you can have pretty easy encounters that at least burn some resources. I mean, that's all you're looking to do on some of them. Right. It's like, it's not like you expect them to lose, but if you start the combat and your wizard casts storm sphere and takes out half the group, Cool, they just burned a fifth level spell. 
That's what you needed. You didn't need them to get all of their damage taken away. You needed them to not have that spell when the big boss came later. Right. And for that, I mean, it's it's that's the only way to do it. I mean, I don't think we've done that well yet. Maybe we're getting there. We just haven't really had a reason to play super high level stuff. Um, we'll see if we ever get there in, in this campaign. Right. We better. Really? <laughs> better? If I'm not level 18 the next four months. <laughs> so help me. Took you guys, what, six months to get two levels? <laughs> so, yeah, four more months. It goes only... faster as you get higher. Isn't yes. It? Isn't that how it works? <laughs> That's how it works. <laughs> Exponential leveling. <laughs> So All of a sudden, every, every two minutes in the session, you gain a thousand levels. <laughs> <laughs> That's how cookie clickers work. It's yeah. Same deal. Um, Those are fun. You mentioned something earlier that um, I don't think we've really talked much about, and that's the idea of downtime. You said that you know a lot of campaigns will have like just weeks, days, months, years, whatever of downtime. And that's definitely something we've never explored because it's never really felt too natural right like not and I, I don't know if it's just because of how we structure our campaigns but it seems really weird if i just said like okay we're gonna take a break for a month like you get your characters are gonna take a break for a month like what reasoning would there be you all have these personal goals and motives that are maybe not so much time sensitive but you have no reason to just sit on them so it's it always seems weird to me i want to give downtime i if you guys said we're gonna take two weeks off and you know i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do this great you know you can find uh somebody to teach you a new language and you can start learning how to brew beer and all of those things but i just don't see how it would naturally happen i think again it goes back to kind of having that hub city and i think or maybe during character creation it's a requirement of everybody lives in that city mm -hmm. right now it's nobody lives where we are and it's not a hub city we're probably we've already left it well you did but, buy a house though yeah for <laughs> weird political reasons for the right to vote <laughs> but you don't have yeah again i want that to be very clear will you you really push the whole let's buy a house so we can vote thing but there's no that doesn't help you vote you can't vote the russian revolution started in the 1800s it did not finish <laughs> until the early 1900s it, you plant the seeds early jared I'm a furball guy. I have so much time I, to yeah. foment the workers' party. I do fully appreciate that you are finding a way to play a true neutral character where you are recognizing <laughs> that there is a power structure, and so you're planting the seeds to, uh, you know, maybe change that or at least have some pushback against it because that's important. It's nice. Got to play that true neutral. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, back to the downtime. So with the current campaign we're in, which is that Sandbox campaign, which still doesn't feel like it fits, it's because we all... All of our backgrounds and motivations have led us to living the life of adventure. Mm -hmm. We've left our homes with these goals that we're looking to accomplish. And those kind of trump everything. Yeah. Where if it's more, we're all from the city. We all have homes here and families and friends here. And maybe it's more structured. We're all various. We're involved in the community of the city in various ways. And we come together to solve problems. You're going to have downtime between those problems. That makes sense. Yeah. It's also worth noting that the concept of downtime from Adventure League is almost identical to experience. You get experience when you complete Adventure League quests and you get downtime. Right. So when you spend downtime, it's not the party saying, oh, we're all going to take two weeks off. Because Adventure League isn't that cohesive linear narrative, mm -hmm. you spend two weeks and show up next week. It doesn't matter what anybody else did. You learned, you know, Elvish. Right. Or got two weeks into it. Right. Right. 
So it's a resource that you're given and spent. And we don't, we don't really do that. No, we do. We always do checkpoint leveling. Right. And if, if somebody wanted to, again, just using that as an example, learn Elvish, there would probably be a different way to go about it. Um, you know, in game and in character, finding a teacher and just spending time with them, be it training every day or something to, to, you know, make that a skill. Yeah. Downtime. Yeah. But I do like the idea of like a potentially doing a campaign where there is a bit of a, a hub world like that. And that's your focus. Um, I think I made it pretty clear. Maybe not. I think it's just the way it happened, but nobody really wanted to make a, a home to go back to in this campaign. It felt like it was, it was more about the, the reason why they set off, not a reason to stay home. Right. To be a terrible campaign. <laughs> Having a reason. Like, why home? are you just chilling at home? I don't know. Comfy. No, because no, if everybody is from the same city. Right. But yeah, that's, that's, that's how you think That does not fit this campaign at all. No, no. Nope. I didn't want it to either. But it's worth exploring in the future. Um, I've, I've heard some, you know, like the way that this campaign started, you guys did not know each other at all. Um, there's definitely some benefit to like having at least previous knowledge, kind of making your characters together and everyone having a same shared goal. Don't think it works out as well for a long form campaign, which is what we're trying to go for. Right. Um, but you know, I, I do think maybe after this switching to like a, a couple shorter, like three month campaigns where right. it's like you have one specific thing that you want to do and let people kind of cycle out characters a little more. Right. Um, or maybe a more. If it's a short one, a more railroady type thing where like you, right. you have a story in this world you want to tell exactly. and we're going to be important actors in it. Right. Right. You know, especially because we were talking about since this is your homebrewed world and we're very, very early on in the development of this world and future campaigns kind of doing time skips. Mm-hmm. It'd be kind of cool to do like little, little segments of important events uh, for like yeah, a month or two. Right. Also, then we could try out different wacky characters and. Yeah, and definitely, you know, you don't want to play for two years, but for a couple few sessions, sure. Right. Like a monk paladin. Like a monk (laughs) paladin, yeah. And it helps, you know, flesh out the world, too, which can be definitely nice. It's it's difficult to do that just on a looking at a blank map and being like, all right, so what's going on in that place? Right. And then just having to write something compared to having characters, motivations, and then things happen and change. And it's like, great, that's what happened there. So in two years, we can look back and say, oh, I remember that that's the history of that place because that was really important. Right. I got, uh, I finally acquired a copy of the Baldur's Gate Descendant of Avernus. What do you mean? I have that. and I told you I have access to that. Did you? Yeah, I think so. Well, I might have gotten the PDF somewhere else. Okay. But (laughs) (laughs) I actually like that because I did read uh, Waterdeep. Mm-hmm. And I like that campaign structure of it's kind of like local boys doing local boy stuff that mm-hmm. spirals out of control and you end up in the first layer of hell. But oh, for bowlers, <laughs> yeah, game? okay. The uh, new descendant of Ernest, one of the big things is your party like has to all kind of mutually agree why they're in deep shit. Oh, okay. And there's like a big table, it's like, oh, you tried to <laughs> like implement democracy, or oh. you know, <laughs> you're in, you're all in trouble for tax evasion. Choose your roles. Like you're the accountant who led it all. You're the guy who caught the accountant, <laughs> but they blamed you. And that's like the entire party has to agree. Why did we all collectively fuck up and owe somebody this thing? Interesting. I like that. Yeah, I like that a lot actually. Also, uh, they mentioned the vehicles like briefly, and I was reading through it. I was like, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. It's like. How do you make D&D more fun? Uh, they have a motorcycle with <laughs> blade wheels and it's powered by souls. <laughs> I'm not kidding. 
<laughs> so did it seem more fun? Oh, yeah. No, I wanted to get the hell on that. <laughs> Run things over for no reason. But yeah, no, that was just, I... I haven't seen how long that campaign takes to it's, run. Uh, I can't. It, it levels hard. It ends okay. up at level 14, starts at level 1. That's what I thought. Like out of the abyss. So, I mean, that that's just doesn't sound enticing to me. That's I don't know. Too long. I just want like a short Also, I'm really disappointed that like the uh, monsters section has like Inogu in it. I'm like, come on, man. We already had Inogu. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Get out of here. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the, the modules will do that where they just take like pre-established ones and they're like you're gonna need this for the campaign so here you go um yeah i like it when he, they do it like that it's not like then you're gonna fight you know you the stat blocks in the other book you need to buy right right <laughs> that's kind of frustrating right they actually did that it was one second i was reading it's like oh yeah and then you run into this thing it's in this book we're not gonna detail it they do like, it sometimes yeah, if, if it's in one of the dedicated monster books like if it's in the monster manual or volos or something oh Okay. It was if it's in like another campaign. Yeah. (laughs) That's annoying. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, it looks like you didn't buy Ghosts of Salt Marsh. Guess you're just gonna have to guess. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody bought Ghosts of Salt Marsh. I didn't see the sales on it, but I bought it for this show. I don't really have any plans on running it. I read it. It's it's actually the exact opposite of what I was what we were just expounding upon. It really kind of leads itself to randos just like doing rando stuff in a town they've never been to hmm. well that's I mean, our campaign yeah yeah <laughs> that's not necessarily yeah. bad but yeah no 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 no. it's just it's uh not so much something that i think we thought about before starting this actually what i'll say this it, one of the really nice benefits of ghosts of salt marsh is that it's basically just like a book of quests and it yeah. even describes how you could put this quest anywhere right it says, it, if you're in the forgotten realms if you're in eberron if you're Anywhere, if you're in your custom world, mm-hmm. here's why this island is this way and has this problem. Right, right, and that's nice. Oh. I I really like those types of books because then it's just you know you can treat it like it's it's modular and just take out what you want and keep what you want. Right, uh, kind of like um, yawning portal, yawning portal. Thank you. Where it's just a bunch of cool dungeons and it's like if you want to make it a campaign, sure. Here's something that connects it all together. The yawning portal. Somebody's asking you to go do this stuff. Great. Otherwise, here you go. Here's White Plume Mountain. It's awesome. Have fun. <laughs> Never let your party go to White Plume. <laughs> <laughs> Never let your party leave White Plume yeah. Mountain. <laughs> There's a mechanic there. It's like how to make sure they don't leave White Plume Mountain. There did actually you, is. Did you fuck up and give somebody Black Razor? <laughs> Here's a mechanic to make it sure make sure they don't leave with Black Razor. <laughs> I know you thought it'd be fun, but you just finished the blog on that, didn't you? And you're kind of wondering, how am I going to unfuck this situation? <laughs> It really is ridiculous. Back to something you said earlier, well, back back more on topic of Monk Paladin. Oh, weird. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> you were saying where if there's already a monk and then you have a paladin, it feels really weird to have the paladin want to train to be a monk because it's like, what's the point? That's not really worthwhile. If you really do step out of it, and even for us, even though we talk about really like role playing, and we do when we really try and get into the characters, it's really hard. I know for me to remove that kind of layer of metagaminess from it where it's like i still want to be viable i know it wouldn't make a lot of sense mechanically for me to do this so i will come up with justifications to avoid that and do this instead where if you completely throw that out and really really try and play your character as a living breathing character you could very much justify something like that where you so you have the paladin and they're looking at this monk who's kicking ass with literally nothing 
they're running around and just like tattered clothes and beating the shit out of things with their fists and feet and thinking, man, that's would actually be a really useful skill to have. I feel very reliant on my arms and armor. I would l- feel so much more confident in myself if I knew if I like in a pinch, if I could get by without that crap. It's like, all right, train me in your ways. And it's it's not going to be mechanically great. It's you're not going to use it every encounter, but it's like now it's there, and it's kind of this character thing going on, a connection between two PCs. And no, I I 100 agree with that. I like. I mean, every time I destroy something, Kevin's like, "Here's a rational reason why people can have fun in different ways." Will <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're wrong, Kevin, but I see where you're coming from. <laughs> No, I like it. I think my biggest warning is like when people are saying it's like, you know, I don't care about being mechanically viable. It's like, I don't, we don't want to bully you, but we do, you might not have fun at some point when you're like, boy, I wish I was rolling just like another D8. I think that's, that's, (laughs) it's a simple feeling, but I think people get it. I think that's what it comes down to is uh, it's, it's more of the concern of not having fun than saying you're having fun wrong. It's that if you think that like, oh, this is going to be a really good time. I'm going to, you know, have a completely mechanically awful character. And then you start playing it and you're like, huh, every time combat comes around, I spend my entire time just not dying. And I don't like that. If that's what it comes up, if you say I spend my entire time just trying not to die and it's awesome, then this is right for you. And that's that's okay. That's like that is the right kind of fun because you're having fun. Right. Um, And, you know, you're focusing more on that role play aspect and, and throwing out mechanics. Great. I think that's that's totally fine. Will, I know that that pains you and you're like, why didn't you just take eight levels in warlock you idiot but <laughs> why isn't the party all warlocks i don't get it why are they playing D wrong <laughs> i know it says in the book you can choose any class but they really meant that you could only choose <laughs> and i think there's there's so many ways to play dnd and it actually does kind of fall down on the dm and we having played this game so long and getting that kind of a little bit of boredom like, we don't fudge rolls anymore. You actually made a mechanic to make yourself not fudge rolls by removing the DM screen. So we're like, oh, look, he crit on us again. He can't bullshit out of that. A lot of DMs are just like, that's not how they want to play. No. You will never fundamentally lose until it's like a loss that will feel good. Right. And that's a totally fine way to play. Yeah, I think that's that's completely fine. I think, um, yeah, that was a, a recent decision that I think so far has been really great, actually, um, and, and will continue to be good. You guys have said before, it's like we don't want rolls fudged. There's, or even if they're not, you always I have that sneaking that. suspicion of like, you know, maybe we didn't deserve that win. Maybe something got changed around. And it's Only like, you thought. <laughs> me or Kevin? I'm a big I'm a big aficionado of fudging rolls. Are you? Yeah, you both. I know you aren't. Kevin would always like, oh, this is important. And he'd roll it directly in front of us. It's like, right. Ooh. <laughs> I was like, fuck you, man. <laughs> what level 13? I don't have time to roll a new character. <laughs> well, I guess that's fair. I, I have to, when I DM, I have to take that stuff out of my own hands, to be honest. I feel too bad killing a character. But if the threat of it is not there, I know at least on our tables, we don't enjoy it because it feels like, what's the fucking point? Like, right. We're not going to lose. No one's going to die. Kevin's just going to take care of us. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, no, I'm taking that out of my hands. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm not doing this. <laughs> it's honestly what I have to tell myself. <laughs> Kevin's version of, I was just following orders. <laughs> <sighs> Oh, no. <laughs> you can't just casually drop the Nuremberg trials <laughs> comparing Kevin to the DM. <laughs> Ruined that campaign for me. <laughs> um, no, 
but I mean, I think overall it will feel better. Uh, you know, the, the narrative that comes out of those roles is going to be overall just better. And also I say that because I think it's really, really hard to actually kill you guys aside from like a disintegration ray that completely wipes you out. And even then I'm sure you'll find a way to bring people back. Cause now there's reason to, it's not like you're in the underdark where we're like, Oh, Oh, what do we do? You're just here. We've got his ashes in this Ziploc. I don't know what the hell to do with it. We can't go to the surface. We've got a job to do. If it's like in this campaign uh, that we're playing now and somebody perma died like that, there are ways to get them back and it will become a quest. And maybe we give them a, a different character said, for a we, week We or can't two. afford it, but not right now. No, <laughs> they, if they got disintegrated, I think it needs to be a true resurrection, which is what twenty thousand gold. You are correct. Or component? wish we are. Oh right, okay. <laughs> or or there's always the other thing of uh, so you don't have the money for it, but I've got something you can do for me. All right, but, what, like what, what situation yeah, is going to be a worse twenty thousand? All right, you work at McDonald's, but I'll give you this Ferrari <laughs> if you go on an errand. You guys are thinking about it at this level where nothing's yeah, going to uh, disintegrate you, yeah, anyways. It's kind of dry, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, you'll start getting more money as time goes on. No, I mean, if the pattern continues. We're just going to have way too much money. Yes, which is always the case, that's awesome. and that's good. <laughs> that's fine. You probably have enough to start buying your uh, your companions better armor. Nope. <laughs> I'll be investing in real estate. <laughs> okay, so we definitely got off track, which is fine because yeah. Monk Paladin didn't have much. Um, but it spurred some good conversation. Of course it did. Yes. And another point with the, like the mechanically unoptimal, and it's like, oh, if you enjoy it, or if you you might really feel underwhelmed and struggling in combat, it also depends what the rest of your party is doing. If that's kind of the agreement, it's like, all right, we're going to try and make actual real living, breathing people. And let's say we're going to go that route. They all live in the town and they're just trying to make the community better and defend it when they can. Right. But they are by no means the elite heroes of the realm. And everybody has that mentality. It'll be fine because the DM just adjusts accordingly. Yeah. Yeah, and definitely. Then, yeah. I think even the opposite is also true. If you've got like crazy min-maxers, it's like, yeah, you can just right. kind of chill out in the background doing almost nothing. <laughs> We've got this weird multi-class barbarian monstrosity doing <laughs> 90 points of damage every round. And it's immune to carried all in a wheelbarrow. Damage. But <laughs> yeah, carried in a wheelbarrow. <laughs> that's his character. Your character is the wheelbarrow carrier. You know, that's perfect. <laughs> I use my action to move the barbarian with a wrench. Tenzer's floating disc. <laughs> 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 no, I mean, I... I Totally agree, and I think that's uh, kind of mentioned that where uh, you guys are definitely on these uh, the the higher end of the spectrum when it comes to just being good at D and D. I mean, maybe I, I can't say that because it, you know you guys are my party, but uh, you know what you're doing. I never feel like, oh man, I got to take it easy on them because they're just so clueless. It's like, no, you guys are talking strategy and figuring out the best way to handle this, and you're going to come through. If I throw in crazy high challenges at you. So right. Going to keep doing it. And that's what we enjoy. Yeah. As a table. Right. Hopefully there's a cap to how good you guys can be though. Yeah, probably we're not that talented. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're pretty, we're pretty garbage. But yeah. the three of us do spend, you know, how many hours a week mechanically wondering, how could I break this game? <laughs> and then justify it through role playing reasons. <laughs> Yeah, I, that that really speaks a lot to I'm 
no matter how much I talk up role playing and like enjoy that aspect, I still approach this as a game because that's what I've realized that for every single time I make a character, make a decision. That's what I do. What sounds mechanically fun and viable. And then I just apply for role playing wise. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong. With right. That. Yeah. I mean, that's seriously, that's the way you want to do it. Right. I, yeah. I mean, but it's a, it's like, it was the other day. I was just like that kind of thought dawned on me. There's people who approach that completely opposite. Mm-hmm. It's like, what do I want to do role playing wise? This is this real person who lives in this world. What would make sense for them to have mechanically that? And it's, it is what it is. It's, it, like, it's a it's, resource thing. It's yeah. because that's in your head. That's how you approach it. A lot right. of people do not have any idea of the mechanics of this game. So what comes to them immediately is like, oh, I was the son of a blacksmith and I started doing this. And they're like, all right, let's uh, look at this book. Ooh, that's a lot of pages. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and they can listen to our show to help them out through their mechanical needs. <laughs> For all your mechanical needs, <laughs> just roll a warlock. We're D&D mechanics. You give us your broken-ass <laughs> character, and we're just going to fix it up. Let's give it a little tune-up. There we go. Yeah, That's a new segment. A yeah. new segment idea once we run out of multi-classes. I think we only have like 14 left. No. Yeah. Artificer's coming next month. <laughs> oh, Is it? Shut yeah. the hell up, man. All right. We got 26 left. <laughs> you can't multi-class as an artificer. A year. Yeah. Actually, you're right. A two, yeah. Two, uh, yeah, we still got a while ago. Yeah. I forgot we're doing every other week now. Yeah. I think this is uh, probably, at this point, we are now uh, officially been around for a year. We started yeah. in about November. Yeah, November 5th we yeah. launched. So when this launches, or actually right now, um, this will be a whole year. So uh, that was my... Uh, my, my sound like an air raid siren. <laughs> Warning, it's our anniversary. <laughs> Happy birthday. If you rolled a pilot in warlock or monk, please take cover. They're about <laughs> to yell at you. <laughs> um, I will use that to transition into our small promotional period uh, before we get into our monster of the week. So The bar just... We... Uh, <laughs> you threw me off so hard there. <laughs> So, if you do not, please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, leave a review wherever you get your podcasts, uh, follow us on Twitter, that's monsters underscore multi, uh, subscribe to our subreddit, which is our monsters and multi-class, and just reach out to us, talk about D&D, I mean, it's it's what we're here for, we have a podcast about it for a reason, and um, share us with your friends, yeah, there we go. And happy birthday to us. Now on to the bar guest. This week's monster is the bar guest. The, the bar guest is a challenge rating. It's going to be really hard to keep that up. I'm not doing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Kevin. <laughs> we had this just really just kind of silly, ridiculous idea to pronounce it as the... Uh, and in D&D Beyond, all the monsters have a pronunciation guide. And it's said very monotonely in... Yeah, I don't know if that's going to pick up. And when we were trying to figure out how to say this, we were saying it just like that and making ourselves laugh. So I was like, oh, we'll just do that through the whole episode. Here we are. I've done it three times now. and I'm already done with it. So we're not going to we're not, not going to stick with that. <laughs> do you want to scrap this episode? <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> Anyways, this week's sponsor is the Bargast. The Bargast is a challenge rating for... Uh, fiend. There we go. Yes. Fiend. Their goal in life is to hunt down goblins. They look like little wolf goblins. Yeah. That's that's it. Little wolf goblins. But they're not goblins at all. What are they, Kevin? They are goblins. They're fiends. <laughs> <laughs> that's already been answered. 
<laughs> but why are they with goblins? To hunt them down. Ooh, there Ooh. we go. All right, yeah. see, we're getting somewhere. Yeah. I wonder if there's a backstory as to why that happened. <laughs> okay, well, let's see if we can just skim through. Yeah, so <laughs> if you've listened to our Goblin episodes, the, the god of the goblinoids is Maglubiot. That's really what actually brings the um, hobgoblins, bugbears, and goblins together, because otherwise they're actually pretty separate species um, or races, whatever. And then there was the general, um, Gehenna, G-E-H-E-N-N-A. I never yep. looked up, yeah. That looks right. It's not a hard one. If you got Magubliot, I think you can get Gehenna. Yeah, Gehenna. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Magubliot, uh made a contract with Gehenna for various things, and he ended up breaking it. Gehenna put a curse on the goblins, where sometimes when certain goblins are born, they are actually a Bargast. The appear is regular cute little baby goblins for a period of time, and as they come of age, they transform into this horrible wolf monstrosity. Then retain the ability to shape change back and forth between a goblin or this or the bargast form, the wolf form. And their entire goal in life is to kill goblins. There's a certain number, which I'm drawing a blank on. 17. Thank you. So they need to kill 17 goblin, consume 17 goblinoid souls. Yes. And goblinoid is important there because that's not just goblins. That can be hobgoblins and bugbears. They all fall under that goblinoid uh, um, umbrella. Yes, and also the uh, it's specifically 17 because the oaths that Maglubiot broke total in the contract of Gehenna is total 17. Yeah, that one so. felt really tacked on. I got to be honest, because even in like the description, it's just like, why 17? Because the oaths Maglubiot broke in his compact contract with General Gehenna totaled 17. And it's just like, is there uh, that, more to that? It just feels like it's decent lore. It's like, yeah, like yeah they, they the had a contract and there's like 17 things in it that McGlue yeah, was going to do. Here, yeah. buddy? That's great lore. Yeah. And he was like, <laughs> why is it 17? Here's a very specific reason. Yeah. It's a great story. It's like, oh, that's dumb. Yeah, oh, it's yeah. kind of like this poetic justice thing of the okay. Bargus where they'll, they'll kill 17 goblins and. But it's obviously multiplied significantly because every single Bargus is doing the 17 times. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. yeah, well. Maybe I just don't like it. That's all right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so its entire order in life is to just try and kill 17 goblins before, or goblinoids, before it gets ousted, uh, because that can be a bit of a problem, because it, there is a way to stop it. Killing it seems to do the trick. Also, banishing it with fire is... Yeah, that's kind of a weird one in this bit stat block. Yeah, and regardless of the stat block, I mean, even just lore-wise, it's like a, uh, you know... A, large flame that's larger than it is a portal to Gehenna and that's how like it can be brought back into its its realm with the Yugoloths and then it'll either be tortured or enslaved because it because didn't it complete failed. its yeah right. it didn't complete its mission right and, and the Bargast ultimately is not trying to just kill as many goblinoids as it can specifically going after powerful high-ranking ones because if the 17 in total that they consumed is impressive enough they gain a higher status with Gehana once they return to him after consuming the the 17. So you're not just having these Bargas just, they come of age and then they slaughter 17 goblins, which they could very easily do, and then just leave it. Yeah, and with their stat block, they very much so could yes. easily do it. They're pretty impressive, even for a, a challenge rating four. First off, armor class of 17. Oh, there's that oh. number again. I wonder if that was on purpose. I didn't pick up on that the first I time. Don't, I <laughs> don't think it is. That makes sense. Um, HP of 90. Which... 17? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, everything in the stat block, 17. <laughs> Speed, 7. Oh, average damage, 17. It's really all over the place, isn't it? 
<laughs> Challenge rating 17. I don't think that's even right. <laughs> um, so it does have hit points of 90, which is, again, really high for a challenge rating 4. It's, it's starting to get pretty up there. Speed of 60 when it's in its Barghest form, which is also crazy fast. And it's like top tier fast. Yeah, yeah. And, and then not a single bad stat. It doesn't have a dump stat at all. We've got 19 strength, 15 dex, 14 con, 13 int, 12 wisdom, and 14 charisma. And with a bunch of skills as well. Deception, intimidation, perception, stealth. And then it's resistances, which are also crazy. Right. It's got resistance to cold, fire, lightning, and then bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magical. It's immune to acid and poison, and then the condition immunity of poisoned as well. Right. It also has blind sight out to 60 feet, dark vision out to 60 feet, and a passive perception of 15. <laughs> it's, like, yeah, and that's sneaking up on this thing. Right. And, you know, like, damage it does maybe is, is not lining up to there, uh, too much there. But when we're talking about a challenge rating 4 and 90 HP, this thing effectively can have... 180-ish health. I mean, you're going to have some magical damage, so let's say even 125 to 150. Right. Oh, because of the resistance right, for non-magical? Right. Yeah. Right, so everything's doing half damage. Exactly, I mean, yeah. Challenge rating for a lot of party members will probably not have magical weapons at that point. No. And no. Then, then the wizard blasting it with firebolts and whatnot. It's like, it has also cold fire and lightning resistance. But if the party was all warlocks... <laughs> it doesn't have resistance to force. You are correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that I didn't even think about that. The main... Uh, cantrips are going to be cold or fire, but I mean, unless you got sacred flame, and that's radiant. But this so, is, okay, there, right, any yeah. fiend is like kind of downgraded by clerics and paladins, so. right? Right, so, that's true. Damage, yeah. So smites are going to do extra damage to this if you don't have it. That. You're right. This, yeah, the, right. I mean, that really you do have to look at it. It's like that is a lot of health for a party that can't do anything else. Right. Right. Oh yeah, because smites get an extra D8 if it's a fiend. Correct. Fiend or undead. Yeah. Correct. Also, it kind of weird as languages abyssal common goblin goblin infernal and telepathy all to, out to 60 feet <laughs> but it's not a combat thing it's just kind of cool no like, you don't see many things with that amount of languages i think the nagpa kind of rivals it and i think the telepathy <laughs> can kind of be really really cool though with this bar guest because of the fact that it's usually going to be in its goblin form and it's mm -hmm. going to be hiding to some extent right. and then uh if it needs to stay hidden it can still contact somebody who's nearby and which really brings me to and I, I know i'm skipping over the stat block a little bit but i don't see a reason for pcs to fight this yeah i, I, I was having that thought of reasons Ooh. Ooh. okay well let me get to why you're wrong before you say why you're right uh <laughs> Besides the fact that it's extremely difficult and doesn't really fit in a good spot, I, I just feel like its entire motivation is to kill goblinoids. So unless you have a goblinoid in your party who's been causing tons of problems, which I actually just thought of, and that would be really awesome to have one of those sent towards them, but uh, <laughs> we'll move on from that. Uh, the PCs are, are generally going to be in kind of the same mindset as these things. Like, oh, hey, these goblins are causing a problem. And now a bar guest is talking to us and saying, hey, could you help me kill these goblins? And depending on your party's moral stance, that might be the best thing possible. It's like, oh, so we already have to infiltrate this huge camp, and now we have something that wants us to help, and we just need to, like, knock these goblins unconscious so it can feed on them? Perfect. You know, that's right. that's a win-win. Um, but I can't think of why you'd ever just get into combat with the Barghest. Even if you refuse to let it help, it is a fiend. Okay. It's inherently evil. Mm -hmm. It's I mean, if you just kind of go by things as written it's 
people like that kind of moral gray things like oh maybe he's not too bad it's like yeah if you kind of just take it at face value he's a fiend right it's a fiend right it's neutral evil a lawful good paladin cleric are probably not going to want to work with it out of principle what's the alignment of goblins it's neutral evil is it neutral evil as well something like that i think definitely i think all three of them have different ones I think, yeah, uh, I think Hobbs got, are, are lawful. Law. Yeah. They, they might actually be lawful neutral. No. They might be. Actually. I guess we have the means to look this up. We do. And while well, you're what, doing what do that, you get in that? Well, more of just like um, if you were the, the paladin or cleric who's like, oh, I can't morally think of a reason to help you. It's like, could you think of a reason to stop them, though? Besides the fact that they're a fiend and you hate fiends. It's like, well, don't you also hate goblins for yeah. everything so you, they so do? So you kill all of them. Right. You, you, you kill the Vargas, you kill the goblins. All the hobgoblins are lawful evil. Okay. Way, yeah. What about um, normal goblins? I'm not interested. Neutral, neutral or chaotic. That's fine. Yeah. That's fine. No, so if you do like lawful good, like really devout, strongly believing it, which is a very common way for people to play characters, especially mm-hmm. paladins and clerics, they're not going to be okay with, well, I guess he's a lesser evil right now, so I'll work with it for in the meantime, but I'll probably betray it later. That that's not how it works. Right. <laughs> that's fair. If they're that truly that devout. Uh neutral it's, it's evil, be, by the way, for goblins. Okay. Yeah, it's gonna be a hard no. Kill it. Because it's a fiend, an evil fiend in the world, then go find their own way to take care of the goblins. Okay. So it would be at least more flavorful than going to just kill some goblins. It would also kind of alert you that like this thing is going to be probably waiting for you to be worn down as well. It's like, hmm, you know, this Orsh is going to run. That's also the other idea. This is what I was kind of getting. All right, you go ahead. So you're in a situation. This is actually kind of a pattern. The Nilbog also followed this, and I think they're from the same book. Follows, yeah. So the idea is that there have been more goblin fights in D&D run since 1968 or whatever than there are atoms in the universe. (laughs) Everybody's bored. So let's add some party poppers that are essentially just goblins. So here's the situation. You like ambush a goblin party or whatever. You're hunting goblins. You're just doing adventure shit and you see a party of goblins. You just bash these little nerds in the head. Well, they've got like eight health or something garbage. And then, you know, the last one's there and your paladin's like, oh, smite. And it lights the guy up. But, you know, he's level like two or three and it does 27 damage. Like, yeah, cuts him in half. And the DM's like, nope, he runs away. (laughs) He just runs away. And it's like, what the fuck did, what happened? (laughs) What just happened? And the bar, that's the idea is the Bargus would be like you can put him in there and it just adds weirdness. Yeah, that's fair. And I think there even more to that. You're you're going to see that weirdness even before when all of these things have like a 11, I, mean, I think 15 AC. Goblins have surprisingly high. But uh you know, you might get that AC down and then you're like, "Oh, I got a 16." And you're like, "Yeah, that one didn't hit." What? What's different about this? <laughs> yeah, guy? or same deal. You, maybe it doesn't surprise. have to be the smite, you know, you're just you're doing more damage and it's like, "Why is this one so powerful?" And then it just, you know, dimension doors because it has dimension door and just bolts out of there maybe you see it turning into this uh this bar guest and it turns into two things either one your party sits around and goes huh or they're like we need to go track that down right and either way it's going to be kind of cool yeah and you're looking at a situation where like if they don't know the lore and then unfortunately anybody who listens to the podcast is uh, you'll never have fun playing dnd anymore <laughs> <laughs> we ruined it i'm sorry that's it's a not. great promotion for us yeah right <laughs> but you know all your party members who don't it's like what 
the hell is that? That's cool. And this lore, I mean, it's okay. Yeah. I'm kind of in your boat. It's not blowing my mind. But it is a fun thing for your party to have to really work to figure out. Right. Because this is some really intense and obscure shit. This is not like everybody knows what a Bargast is. Yeah. So that's that's a great quest that nobody's going to see coming. Yeah, and you can make it a little twist on the classic quest of that someone in a town hires you to go kill the goblins nearby, mm-hmm. and they warn you, like, there's one that just seems stronger than the rest. We're not sure what's who that is, what's up with them, but really, we assume that's their leader. We need them dead for sure. Make sure you bring us back that head, and then you'll get paid. Right. And then you go there, and it's a lot harder to hit, and it runs away, and so you start tracking it down, and then you figure out what it is, and it's something actually trying to infiltrate and kill the goblins, which will benefit the town better, but it's an evil fiend. Right. It's like, all right, what do you do? Yeah, and then you bring back the head of the Bargus, and right. everyone's like, that's not the right head. You don't get paid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was a goblin. I'm like 90% sure. Um, I mean... That's, you know, that's, that's another great way to do it. Something that uh, you mentioned, Wells, you're saying that they're just, I know, kind of tongue in cheek. They're like, oh, you're not going to enjoy anything anymore because you actually know what's going on. I mean, you guys know what 90% of the monsters you fight in my campaigns are. Does it ever make it less cool? I, you, you specifically, especially in this campaign, went to great lengths <laughs> to make up all new shit. And I want to say it's probably 40% because you read too much damn d and <laughs> So, yeah, no, I'm absolutely right. And you have to do a lot of legwork for us to still enjoy it. <laughs> I do that so that I enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, and, and no, we do have fun. And yeah. we do know stuff, and it's still fine. Right. And the yeah. only also, thing I, is I, reading predefined campaigns is going to ruin them for Well, you. yeah, right. And we, and we don't talk about those here anyway. Yes. Not, not really. Well. Yeah. But also, I... I Honestly, I just forget a lot of shit. Yeah. It's like the other day we fought the Vine Blights or whatever. Yeah. It's like I knew what those were. <laughs> I have read the stat block. I think I might have used them at one point. Mm-hmm. But then in the moment, fighting, I was like, I don't remember the intricacies, right. intricacies of the stat block. I knew what it was by name. Yeah. I get it. That was it. I mean, I can infer it's probably takes vulnerable to fire because it's a plant. But you don't have to be familiar with the stat block for that. Right. I just, there's a lot to it. And I just forget shit. And I can't imagine I'm the only one who has the problem of forgetting things they've known at one point. No, everybody else remembers everything. Uh, my vein, brain's just broken. <laughs> okay. just a big dumb yeah. uh, <laughs> I will say that the one, the biggest problem is like the, the situation where you, the coolest shit in my mind, like the bone claw, is the stuff you can't know. That's, yeah. There, everything else like, is I'm like, oh, I forgot about that because it's medium, mediumly interesting. It's like. Yeah, I know. It's because it's mediumly interesting. I think to to some extent, like one, we're all martyrs on this podcast as we we dive deep into monster lore and have to familiarize ourselves with so it. You doing it? So, so yep, yep. So it's we're all great and humble. Um, no, but but, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like more realistically, like for you guys, it's going to be kind of like while you're at the table and going through something, you kind of got to like wonder like. Is this a bone claw? And you know, like, like, <laughs> maybe it's like two sessions or so until finally it's revealed, and you're like, "Yep, that's a bone claw." Like I know what that is, but you know, it's still the fun of like how your character reacts to it, how right. your character figures and, it and out, and also watching the other party members who are right. no, don't listen to this podcast, those fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> you're right, watching them as well. Yeah, um, but I mean, when you watch a horror movie, you don't go, "This is gonna suck. Everyone's gonna die except for that one person who I know is gonna live at the end of this." Like you, just because you know that doesn't make it a bad movie. It's probably a bad movie because 
95% of horror movies are bad. Yeah, you have but. to like literally condition your brain. I love horror movies because I set myself up to enjoy them in a specific way. Right, and that's, and of, that's what we do with D&D. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so even though you know when something, when you're fighting goblins in one dimension doors, like 500 oh, feet away. Let's go through my brain real quick. What do <laughs> goblinoids can know dimension doors? Not the Neobog. It's certainly not any variant of a bugbear. <laughs> Maybe a hobgoblin who <laughs> no, learned a no. little too much. No, hobgoblins are generally martial and lawful evil creatures. And uh, lots of evocation, yes. So I can't <laughs> yes, imagine uh, something like a oh, conjuration yes, it, spell. It is a bog. Oh, it's yes, a... yes. <laughs> well, let's go slaying, good fellows. <laughs> I need to steal your detective character and be really obnoxious about it. <laughs> Kevin's? His, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a fun character. I, I do Kevin's good at characters. Um, rare. Yeah. All right, so back to the stat block a little bit because we... we pulled away from that. So some things that it's got is it does have the shape changer ability. So it can polymorph in and out of a goblin form rather quickly. Again, it only takes an action, probably not going to be used a ton in combat. Um, You'd want that to happen already, but um, you know, if it hasn't, then there you go. You, you can have them change back and forth again, probably makes more sense outside of that. The fire banishment thing. We real quick on that. Yeah. Is that like a really big? Will that work as a really big pool of health? Because the polymorph spell, say you polymorph into a giant ape and you have sixty health or whatever. Once you go you get knocked through sixty health and you hit zero, you revert back to what it's, you were and the health you were at. It says polymorph in regular text. So what I'm no, seeing, it's, it, it's a link. It is. It is. Use its action to polymorph, and it's a link to the spell. It's oh, true. Oh shit. It, it links wow, to blindsight for no reason, like but uh, <laughs> yeah, it links to that in the yeah, it links to blindsight. But for me, it's not polymorph. Oops. All right, so you yeah, know, but that is not really a big pool. <laughs> no, it's yeah. not. You're right. I mean, it's because that makes it sound like it, it really has the t- statistics it, and, and of a keep, of goblin. Keep in mind, you can only polymorph towards the goblin. You correct. It's not your polymorphing from a goblin or yeah. back into your true form, which right. but the true to form, me means you're not like, polymorphing into right. a Vargas. It's like a druid wild shaping, yes. yeah. where yes, you now have seven more HP, but once that's gone, you're yeah. back to your and regular actually, state. Say, other than its size and speed, it's just statistics are the same. I would treat that as it just has the ninety health. Yeah, that one's actually kind of confusing for yeah. me. I mean, what are you going to do? Add seven health? I don't it's know. Really Does HP count as a stat in that? Maybe. Does it matter? No. I don't know. Goblins really do have seven health. I thought I was wrong about that. I know a lot about goblins now. Yeah. I got the AC right of 15. I got the HP right of seven. Uh, they give proficiency in stealth. I know that. Anyways. Oh, yeah. They can uh, <laughs> they can dodge as a bone. Uh, just free action. Just all the time. <laughs> I know so much about them, but I'm so quick to mess shit up. <laughs> so Offensively wise, it is important to know what they can do. Yes, which is bite as long as they're in their true form, which does some good damage, plus six to hit, reach of five feet, uh, 2d8 plus four piercing damage. That's pretty strong. It also has claws that it can use, I guess, in its goblin form, because it doesn't say true form only, and that's 1d8 plus four slashing. And it would probably have anything a goblin had, too. Right, I would assume. So this is like an additional thing it can do. And compared to a goblin, which can do 1d6 plus 2 with its scimitar, we'll it's going to be a lot six, yeah. better for it to to use its claws. Which would be a surprise, you know. He'd carry around a scimitar and then suddenly just like, 
right in the right. somebody's face like wow that it and i think that would be a good Lord. way to kind of like you know initially show it <clears throat> because once again goblins have plus four to hit this has plus six it's going to hit more often and you're going to notice like you know it drops its scimitar and slashes towards you and uh i don't know it's it's speed and its strength is kind of surprising you know and that's like a good way to kind of start teasing that this might be a weird goblin there might be something more to this and then when you try hitting it, you're missing. And then it turns into a bar guest. <laughs> have to deal with that. If it goes, you said it, it probably just shares the health pool from a goblin. Right. That would make sense. I would say otherwise it would like after the seven damage, it would just drop to a bar guest. But since it has to be an action to change, it probably just keep that HP. Right. So it's not really like a uh, wild shape or polymorph. No, it, it actually is a little bit like a wild shape. It is, but like your health, you would automatically drop it. This doesn't automatically drop, I don't think. No. I don't know. Would polymorph be concentration? No. It says, I mean, it It says you're using polymorph to shape change into no, a small goblin. No, it kind of doesn't. Use its action to polymorph into a small goblin. Right. So yeah, it's kind of weird. It's not to cast polymorph. It's just, <laughs> it's just the action. You're right. It just feels weird. And we're like getting really hung up on it. And I don't think they meant for that to happen. <laughs> I, they probably were like, how do we describe this in a way that's incredibly simple that, you know, weird people who are obsessed with this and talk about it in a microphone won't get like hung up on. <laughs> like, let's use polymorph. polymorph. They'll know what polymorph means. They, it just changes back and forth. Right? Sorry, you haven't met monsters in multi-class. <laughs> um, so then, yes, it does have a stat block for the fire banishment as well. I have no idea how this would come up in a story reason, but if the bar guest is engulfed in flames that are 10 feet high or wide, it must succeed a DC 15 charisma saving throw or be instantly banished to Gehenna. Uh, instantaneous bursts of flame, like a fireball, don't have the same effect. So, I mean, Wall of Fire does work for that. Does but it? If, yeah, that's yeah. 10 feet high. But why would you be casting Wall of Fire uh, or why would you be fighting a, a challenge rating four thing when you have wall of fire? I mean, that's a level four spell. I think it's pretty high up there. I mean, if there's like an army of them, that'd be kind of cool way to take them all out. I guess they're on the line wall of fire. <laughs> Fair. But why are you fighting a wall or a wall of bar guests? That'd be a good spell. I want that one. <laughs> I mean, why are you fighting an army of bar guests? Unless it's just something that the Yugoloths just can kind of have. I mean, they, it does say that some of them get enslaved, so I could see the, the Yugoloths maybe just using them. I can see that, like, Bargus would probably be limited by Yugoloths' interest in Bargus. Right. Yugoloths are very, very busy creatures. The Bargus, like, this is just like, I'm kind of upset about what a goblin did 2,000 years ago. Every time I remember, I'm going to make a Bargus. Just, <laughs> just to fuck them up. <laughs> you just get some a Yugoloth. It's like, oh, yeah. That's 17, 17 line betrayal. I remember. Bargast. He's pointing <laughs> at a baby. <laughs> a goblin baby. All right, back yeah. to the back to the demon war. You know, that's <laughs> been raging for all eternity that we are like critically relying upon. Uh, I almost forgot about old McGloobie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I remembered goblin baby. McGloobie is just hiding in whatever strange divine planes. Like a son of a bitch. <laughs> is McGloobie at a girl? I don't know. Oh, okay. It, it can be. I actually don't know. I don't know the lore. We only did three goblin episodes, and now this, it. and the Nilbog, all separately. <laughs> it didn't really give a gender. I mean, it's a... It's a god. Yeah. It did, I mean, it didn't give an appearance. It didn't give anything. It's like, no. This is just the unifying concept. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, All right. Also, as innate spell casting, it can at oh, yeah. will cast levitate, minor illusion, pass without a trace, and once a day, each charm person, dimension door, and suggestion. And I think all of those are going to be out of combat except for dimension door. I, levitate. You think? I feel like using an yeah. action to levitate something. It's crowd control. It is yeah. actually a thing. Levitate you can do the paladin thing. without any range stuff. Yeah. There are a lot of actually at will levitates are only on self, but this is not one. Right. Okay. All right, well, that's fair. So that might be one. Imagine how frustrated you'd be as your melee only paladin is like, oh man, I'm so glad I committed to this character and just floating 10 feet in the air. But can't somebody just like push you? Yeah, if they jump, I guess. I'll yeah. just, yeah, just have somebody like lasso you and just like pull you behind. <laughs> Get the or the Bargus will use it on a goblin they've gotten alone. Mm hmm. Just to kind of that sort of toy with it. It's trying to run away and it just gets stuck 10 feet in the air. That's a very good way to do up it. To it and um, I think another way that I was thinking of uh, playing this. Uh, or using this would be uh, maybe more for a, <clears throat> a less by the lore campaign. Or as if you were just going around doing adventurer stuff and came across a goblin encampment. And like when they saw you all, you know, they like came running out and everyone's like, oh God, goblins are coming, you know, get ready. And they're like, we need your help. We right. really need you. Uh, we have a bargus and don't know what to do. And right. like, we need to, you know, get it out. Yeah, and, uh, that's a Good way to play it. Yeah. I wouldn't even say this against lore. I mean, goblins it's, are no, cowardly and right, kind of right. do what they need to to try and survive. You're right. They just might not. They might betray you. Yes. And then you as the party need to have the moral discussions <laughs> like, should we help them? Yeah. <laughs> Does Vargas have a number? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Sounds kind of helpful. Yeah. And I mean, that'd be kind of cool, though. You're just like kind of walking through and maybe the, the Bargus, uh, you know, contacts you telepathically and is like, no, don't listen to them. And, you know, it's like the goblin right next to it. It's like, you know, meet me at this time of night. And now right. you go and meet it. And it's like, look, this goblin, these goblins have a lot of treasure. I've seen them, you know, attack, blah, blah, blah. Goblins are awful people. Help me. And, you know, I'll give you everything here. Or the goblins are like, hey, you know, we'll give you a smaller amount and we all don't want to die. <laughs> Which oh. is somewhat, you know, fair on their parts. Here's an idea that uses the mechanics perfectly. Okay. You have a party, essentially, that's like dealing with a goblin encampment, quote-unquote. You're not going to have to fight all the goblins. But you're going to have to strategically go place to place, make sure you're not triggering different clusters of mobs and stuff, stealth. Suddenly, you start getting incredibly accurate telepathic information. Ooh. It's like, oh, shit. We should attack the western flank. The guards are both asleep. Wow, that sounds like a trap, but let's send the rogue to check it out. And the rogue's like, yeah, I just didn't even wake up when I stabbed the first guy. They're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> we told you not to stab the first guy. And he's like, I'm going to do rogue stuff. Sneak, sneak attack was up. I'm not going to not take it. <laughs> and so he's just like, and they're like, ah, this, this is worrying me. He's got, the guy's obviously, his telepathic voice is going to be like, hey. The, the west the west is unguarded and they're like oh that doesn't sound like a guy i want to help but he could just be like i don't know he could have allergies you know we can't think like oh his telepathic voice sounds fiendish that means he's a fiend <laughs> but you know they could go along with it and suddenly see like great success and they're like wow we just like we killed like 50 goblins because every single time we had a surprise round mm -hmm. that's a great way to introduce it and then and then Maybe. he just tells you to, you know, hey, leave the leave the leader. Leave for the me. leader, you know. Right. And there's like, should we? And that that could either lead to they never meet the Bargus and they always have a what the hell happened in that goblin? Yeah, thing? yeah. Or, you know, they fight him. Ooh, because it'd even be better, because like while they're leaving, let's say they do, they decide to to leave the the final 
uh, goblin leader. It's it's sitting there cowering. It's like, you killed every single one of my forces, except for me. Just kill me. Your party's like, no, for some reason we're not supposed to, so good luck. And they just start walking away, and they just see like a single goblin just like sitting there. And they're like, huh, that's weird. And maybe one oh. of them just turns around and sees him turn into this bar guest and just wallop the, the leader. And it's just like, Huh. Not a we minute should get out of here. eating his body. Yeah. Himself, which yeah. is a great <laughs> Right. <laughs> or like they just hear in their head just like, you've done what you need to. Get out of here. It's like, uh, okay, well, bye. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, there's a lot of cool stuff you can do with this. Right. Ooh, because even better, it just starts levitating. The, the leader. <laughs> it's like, what? What's going on? Uh, yeah. All right. Then, so, I mean, the lore itself, no, maybe not too great, but I think there's, it's not bad either. It's just, you know, I just, nobody, a lot of people are going to skip over it. Give a shit about yeah. Yugoloths or Magubliot. And that's fair. Most people can't even pronounce Magubliot. And that's something that we, we can always hold special in our hearts. That you know, we figure great. it out how we think Magubliot is pronounced. Oh, if it's wrong, then we're just going to quit. <laughs> <laughs> Really just always one small mistake away from shutting this whole podcast down. (laughs) (laughs) It does have one last thing. It's down in the lore, just a little side box soul feeding. Um, If it, when it it could feed on a humanoid corpse, it takes 10 minutes to eat it. If it does, it actually eats its soul and then it digests it over 24 hours. If you attempt to resurrect that humanoid while the soul is in the Bargast, it has a 50% chance of succeeding. After the 24 hours when the soul is digested, there is no mortal magic that would turn that humanoid to life. It's, not, it's saying not even wish or true resurrection or anything. That's pretty crazy. So that's one of those situations where we kind of mentioned, like, it's now that we're less keen on goblins. Goblins were fun when they were funny. Now they're not. So, you know, <laughs> if you do end up helping goblins, that puts some pressures. Like, you need to get that goblin out of that guy. Do you? No. That's the thing. You don't. <laughs> but if question, you did, though. and you're like, oh, no, goblins are fun and funny. It's great. Just get them out of the Vargas. Like, but they're not. They're evil. <laughs> I blame Goblin Slayer. So, I will say, really yeah, Goblin Slayer <laughs> would love Vargas, I think, actually. Team up with one. It's like, about to strike him. He's like, no, wait, that's a fiend. nope not my problem sorry (laughs) so yeah with the soul feeding i don't think that's ever gonna happen to a party member unless they're a goblinoid i can't see a bargast wasting his time energy and like i don't know soul reservoir on (laughs) like some random half elf he doesn't care yeah so right if he you know isolates one it probably wouldn't be against it you know? No, I probably would be like, I'm not eating that thing's soul. Eh, I don't think so. I it's don't like, think I it's... don't like tomatoes. If I kill a tomato, I'm not going to eat it. Why are you killing the tomato then? I, I got in my way while I was trying to kill all the celery stalks. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't want... Is this banicula? <laughs> really good. That's a really good monster idea. A banicula? Yeah. The, the it, vampire bunny that if you're sucks DMing the juice out of vegetables? Olds, I don't know. <laughs> You come to vegetable town. Oh no. It's vernacular. <laughs> By the way, I haven't gotten a single comment on that intro, but it was my favorite of the, the spooky Halloween episode. Good. Yeah. It's, that was Glad like, you liked it. I kept playing it and just listening to Will's dumb. Royalty free <laughs> Dracula music. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, I think that's all I've got for the Vargas. Anything else from you guys? Nope. Nope. Thanks for listening.
next time on Monsters and Multiclass. Join us next time as we discuss the Cleric Fighter Multiclass and then the Morkov from Volo's Guide to Monsters. It's ugly because we're